0: Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment, and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Today we are talking all about mortgages. And I'm so grateful to have today's guest, Tori Bossy, joining me. Tori recently founded Bossy Financial, so that's B O S I, specializing in mortgages and insurance needs. Prior to this, she worked with Paragon Mortgage as an independent mortgage broker where she was in high demand closing an average of $30 million in mortgages per year. Bossy's Financial's main goals are to bridge the gap and lack of understanding in home buying through customer service and educating clients while providing the best mortgage rate and product. Tori has always had a passion for finance, and this passion has been displayed through her high client satisfaction. Bossy Financial believes in full disclosure and providing clients with a joyful experience. I love that, and I love the the education piece, and um, so thank you so much for being here today, Tori. And just for me to add as well, in my experience with you know working with you, and um, is just you're just so responsive, so amazing, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I can reach out to you anytime with any questions, and and you're sort of my go-to person because you're you're quick, you have an answer, and you also take the time to explain um, and and you know even explain the options and what people need to consider and things like that. So. I love that and I really appreciate it. So again, really lucky to have you here chatting today and we're chatting all about mortgages. Um, So thank you so much. Can you tell us just to start, like I think the big question on people's mind when it comes to a mortgage is why use a mortgage broker? So the options out there would be someone could go to the bank and get a mortgage or they can use a mortgage broker. So can you help us just understand the difference and how we differentiate between the two? Yeah. So I guess first off, thank you, Kaylee,
1: so much for having me on here. I, I love mortgages. I love finance. So I mean, the more I can talk about it, the happier I am because I just, it it really truly is a passion of mine. And so um, I guess getting into your first question about why using a mortgage broker and specifically Bossy Financial is Um, you know the options so same reason that you may reach out to a financial planner or an investment advisor you want someone to have your best interests um, and having that wealth of knowledge to help you find not only the best rate but the best product and so a lot of times statistically people go to two places so if you go to let's say Scotiabank and TD what about the other option? Also, what about the other banks that you don't know of? So there's lenders such as First National, MCap Financial, Merrick, lenders that sometimes people, they haven't heard of those lenders, so they don't have the ability to go to them. Um, So the, you know, the number one reason I have people coming to brokers is to get their options and then save time because you're completing one application, you're doing one credit check, and you're providing documents once so that you're not going from bank to bank, filling out application to application, scheduling multiple calls to do the same questions and answers with those people. So um, time, uh, another big reason people use a mortgage broker. Um, Specifically, people coming to me as customer service. So I actually recently had someone contact me. Hey, I work nine to five. Can you chat at 7 p.m.? Can you chat on Saturday? So I want to accommodate people. Um, and so that's not always within that nine to five schedule so customer service is really important to me and and as you mentioned just making sure I'm responsive to people knowing that their email hasn't been lost in the air and five days later hearing back from someone so I try to respond to people within that day so that they know that I'm working on it and I'll get them an answer as soon as possible.
0: Yes I love that so it's yeah, so it's that one stop shop where you're giving them a variety of options um, from what's available. So they're, you know, they can expect that flexibility customer service is such a big piece. I don't know why this always happens, but it feels like it sometimes is. So like last minute and rushed when we're buying a house. Although well, that's a, a huge purchase and things like that. But for some reason, like, I think it all just comes together, um, sometimes at once. And it, it does feel like, like, it's like, okay, you need to get this moving and get it in place fast. So that, that time piece is like essential and being flexible with people's schedules and whatnot. So I love that. And I love hearing
1: that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, oh go ahead it's, yeah no i mean it's just it can be as soon as people thinking of buying a house a year or two out that contact me and say hey where do i stand and what do i have to do to get there and so i help them on that piece or it's all the way to hey i just wrote an offer i didn't get a pre-approval can you get me an approval within four days that i have so it's yeah trying to accommodate that person and what they need. And I like you pointing
0: out that first scenario, actually, because I don't even, I've never really thought about that, but such a good one for people to consider that even if you are considering buying something within the next year or so, and you just want to have that conversation to get a better idea of, okay, what, you know, what budget can I, what kind of mortgage can I expect to be approved for, things like that. Like, so it, it doesn't have to be right when you found the house. And I think that actually too is a good reminder of people should be having these conversations early on. Cause it just helps the whole planning piece of like, okay, now this is my goal then on what I'm going to save for my down payment. And so the sooner you have those conversations really like sort of the sooner you can, like the better your chance of achieving that goal. So I've never really thought of that. So I like that. I like that reminder for us. Um, yeah. Can you, t- yeah. Can you talk about, what 2020 has been like so far. A lot going yeah, on so with COVID and yeah, interest rates and things like that. So, share yeah. with us.
1: Yeah, so 2020 has been not a year that any of us predicted or expected. Um, but I mean, the nice thing that 2020 has brought is low interest rates. So, right now you're seeing interest rates below 2%, which has never happened before. I run scenarios for people where more than 50%, almost 60, 70% of their mortgage payments going to principal. So you're basically at that point stealing the bank's money. I mean, you're paying a couple hundred dollars in interest on hundreds of thousands of dollars being borrowed. So there's, there's a really good opportunity there right now for trying to get into your first house with really low mortgage payments. Um, also trying to consolidate some debt. So if you have credit card debt, if you have maybe a car loan at three or 4%, if you have lines of credit, whatever you have, um, consolidating that debt and bringing into your mortgage to help you save on the interest portion. So um, you're seeing a lot of refinances, you're seeing people redo their mortgages. So if they're in a five-year fixed and their rate is 3%, they're inquiring to see what their payout penalty is and if it's worth switching into a different mortgage, paying that payout penalty and taking lower interest rates. So there's a lot of variety that's come my way uh, that's kept 2020 busy for sure. And uh, I think there's a lot of good opportunity still out there for people who are buying um, rental properties. I've heard are starting to break even now. So we may see rental properties here in the near future. Uh, Lots of people buying those for investment purposes and, uh, yeah, it's been overall an okay year. (laughs) Yeah. And so for people
0: that have that scenario, when does it make sense for them to look into that, um, sort of in, like consider it, um, The scenario you say okay if someone is locked in at you know three percent plus and rates are a lot lower now when does it make sense for them to have that review or um, what might prompt that
1: yeah so I mean there's never a time or the right time basically so what it involves is finding out your payout penalty that is the most important piece of the puzzle is finding out your payout penalty is once I know your payout penalty I can work the numbers and If you qualify to switch your mortgage and uh, if you're able to pay that payout penalty or if we find a solution to build it in then we can speak about those options but at the end of the day it's all going to come down to the payout penalty and also how long you have left on your mortgage Um, i see you know when you're six months out from renewal there's not as much savings because you only have six months left on that rate right so um, but that could also bring up another conversation of should you be walking in rates at that point in case rates go up. So again, no perfect time, but they can always give me a call and uh, we can figure out their payout penalty and go from there.
0: Okay. Yeah. So there's no, obviously it's different for everyone, but they can kind of, you you would run the numbers and help them understand if it makes sense for them. Exactly. Okay. And then for logging in rates, What is the timeframe then on locking in rates? Like if we have a renewal coming up or if someone's considering purchasing a property, um, how far out can they lock a rate in?
1: So typically four months, 120 days is the timeframe for locking in a rate. Some banks do offer longer rate holds, so six months on new builds, sometimes one year for new builds. Those typically come with a little bit of a premium on the rate. And then the opposite's true as well. So if you're going closer to a 30-day possession or 60-day possession um, and your possession date's fairly close, then you could see special. So you could see possibly lower rates than the 120-day rate hold. You could see lower rates if your possession sooner. Okay, okay.
0: And then the big question that everyone has when it comes to mortgages, um, fixed or variable. Can you talk a little bit on that? Um, so what does it mean to go fixed? What does it mean to go variable? When do people consider taking either or? What are some things that people need to consider or think about?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing is just understanding what's your time frame, right? What are your goals? And how comfortable are you if your rate changes on you and your payments change on you? So, I mean, the benefit of the fixed rate is that you're guaranteeing that fixed rate for the term. So if you take the five-year fix, you're guaranteeing that rate and you're guaranteeing that payment for five years. I personally have always gone the fixed route because I like to guarantee that five-year plan so that you can build your life around that plan. Um, Right now, with rates being under 2%, Again, I think it's a little bit silly to not lock in rates under two percent, but I also could have said that when rates were under three percent as well, when people are getting two and a half percent interest rates. I thought those were crazy good deals, right? So there's no perfect lock in rate, but if you know and you feel comfortable sleeping at night, knowing what your payments is going to be, then I would recommend the fixed for that reason. The variable on the other side is a rate that changes. So the variable can change up to eight times per year. The government sets prime. So today, prime is 2.45%, and the government can change prime on you. And that reflects on the interest rate. So, for example, about a year ago, the variable would have been prime minus 1%. So, you know, at that time, Um, Prime was probably sitting at around 3.45, so your rate would have been 2.45, and people loved that rate. Now, Prime is at 2.45, so that's why you're hearing people having rates in the low 1% range, at 1.45, at 1.3%, all those different rates. So, there could be some great advantages if Prime continues to drop down. Will it? We don't know, nor do they really predict for it to drop much lower, the same is true, it could go up a lot. So, I mean, you could lock in a rate or you could take the variable today and then for that prime to creep up and for your rate to now be 3% in two or three years because of where prime goes. So there's a lot of uncertainty on that variable. Um, The really good benefit of, or the best benefit of the variable is the payout penalty. So the payout penalty on a variable is always three months interest. So if you think you're going to be selling your home within a year or two, you may want the variable to guarantee your payout penalty. Three months interest is the bottom of the payout penalties that you can get, whether you go fixed or variable. So that is the lowest payout penalty you can get is three months interest. So if pending, you don't have an open mortgage, I will clarify that. Um, but on a fixed and variable, if you can guarantee your three months payout penalty, then take the variable Um, the other benefit of the variable is that you can lock in to a fixed rate at any point with no payout so if you think fixed rates are going to go down more and you want to wait it out perhaps you do take the variable you watch fixed rates, and then you lock in a fixed rate when you think it's hit bottom again a little bit of a gamble who knows where the bottom is but that could be someone's game plan as well Okay, so you can switch from variable to fixed. Yes. Is it at the, any time,
0: or is it specific time frames? So you
1: can lock in at any time. The misconception, though, is that you cannot lock in the variable rate. So if your variable, let's say, is prime minus 1%, which is not a rate out there today, but let's say in this example it is. So let's say your rate's 1.45%, which is again, prime 2.45, minus 1%. So you'd have a net interest rate of 1.45. You wouldn't lock in 1.45. You would lock in whatever the five-year fixed is at that bank, which might be 1.89 or whatever it is at that point. So okay. uh, it's just something to keep in mind that a lot of times people want to lock in their rate when rates start to creep up. And now you're locking in rates maybe above 2%. So just keep an eye on it and also know what your level of comfort is and risk tolerance when fix, uh, choosing the or variable.
0: Yeah. I like that pointing that out too. Like you said, like, what, what are you comfortable with? What, you know, does it cause you to lose sleep at night seeing like the difference? And if you're concerned of like, okay, oh my gosh, what is it going to be, you know, next month or could it change then? Yeah. Then maybe something like a fixed makes sense because you know, the payment, it's not going to change. Yay. Like that is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And so, exactly. but yeah, but some people if, you, if that's comfortable it literally doesn't you know have that sort of effect on you and you'd rather have something like that and and like you said some of the different features of it then then maybe it is a variable something for them to consider so definitely a personal preference that you kind of have to figure out is this a fit for me um and you gave some great points for people to kind of take into consideration making that decision mm-hmm. um can we talk a little bit about so there's there's different kind of options as well. Like you've alluded to that payout penalty. Is there other kind of options and things to consider within a mortgage and when we're getting a mortgage? Like I'm assuming not every mortgage is the same, but what are some of the big differences that we can kind of keep an eye out for?
1: Yeah, of course. So the option, I always go through the options with clients because there's a reason rates are different in each bank and banks are not naive to what others are offering. So If they're offering different rates, it's probably because their product's more superior or they think their product's more superior anyways. Um, So different things to consider in your mortgage are the prepayment. So how much are you allowed to prepay onto your mortgage each year without a penalty? Some are 10% per year based on your original mortgage amount. Some are 20% per year based off your original mortgage amount. Um, Others only let you make a prepayment once per year where some banks allow you to make a prepayment any regular scheduled payment so giving you more flexibility on when you can make those prepayments Um, customer service is another big one so being a broker some banks they basically cut me out once i place the mortgage there they don't want us to get involved in the process anymore they want clients to call in or go to the branch if they have additional questions or want to make changes to their mortgage Um, where some other lenders see the value of a broker and allow us to inquire, make changes for the clients. And so I've had clients before say, Oh no, I want you to do it. You're, I know how reliable you are. So I will take maybe a little bit of a premium to a rate if you can reach out to them directly. So that's a conversation I have with people a lot of times. Um, The There's lines of credit options with some banks. So perhaps you want a line of credit and a mortgage combined. So that's a product available at some banks and some banks it's not available. Porting privileges as well. So can you move your mortgage from one bank to the next? I'm not trying to slam any bank, but uh, credit unions, for example, use usually can only keep it within the province or sometimes with even the city if it's a specific credit union. So knowing what your porting options are and thinking ahead, knowing, okay, am I maybe going to get transferred for work or is there a possibility I might, um, you know, move to yeah other side of the country? If there's even a slight interest of that or you think it might be in a future plan of you or your families, then maybe you don't want to go with a credit union. At that point, so there's a lot of different options within the mortgage that you want to consider and make sure that you're somewhat customizing it to your needs so that it's, you know, you're saving the most amount of money, not just within your interest rate, but long term within your mortgage.
0: Yeah and that yeah like just planning like you said and i i mean we won't oftentimes we don't know the scenarios may be coming up but you're right like just considering okay this could happen and we might move and then if that's the case then you would want to say okay we need like the porting option we need um you know those different considerations but so even if you know you might not have the clarity or the answers if it is something even just slightly on your radar um, definitely something to consider like all these options and they are so important. Like I know personally, when I was looking to sell my condo, um, before my mortgage was up, um, the, the payout penalty when I found out what that was, like, it was just, it was huge. Like I was very, I was like, quite shocked when I saw the amount. So then I decided to keep it and it's become a rental property that I rent out. But, um, definitely like it wasn't something I considered when I was signing up for the mortgage and I didn't realize how the calculation was done and so that's another one too I find for people that it's like oftentimes you don't figure or find out or know until the situation arises and then um the size of it can be to a point where it kind of changes your mind on sort of how you're going to deal with the situation
1: mm-hmm. um
0: can you like describe I know it's not an easy way to describe, but like you know very briefly or in um, simple terms like how some banks would or some mortgage providers would calculate the the payment ma- the penalty
1: Yeah, so this is a question I get quite often, especially when I bring out bring up payout penalties, and unfortunately, payout penalties can never be calculated until your time of payout. So never assume what your payout penalty is. Always inquire what your payout penalty is. And even when you inquire, if your sale is a month away and rates drop more, your payout penalty could change. Or if you get closer to, again, complicated, but let's say there's two years and six months left on your mortgage um, when you inquire, and then there's two years and five months left on your mortgage when the sale happens. They could be using two different rates at that time depending on they use basically closest term to payout. And the rate they use could also change your payout penalties. So never assume what your payout penalty is going to be. Um, But fixed rates, always interest rate differential, which is a long complicated calculation of basically the difference of what your rate is and what rates are in the marketplace, times the amount of time left on your mortgage, times uh, the amount you owe. So it can you know, get fairly large, as well as if you have a large mortgage, the higher it is, um, or it's three months interest. So you have a minimum, which is that three months interest, but if that IRD, which is the interest rate differential is higher, then you'd pay the interest rate differential. Uh, if you're ever curious on what the interest rate differential calculation is, contact Kaylee or I don't know if you'll get my information, but I'm happy to send it to you and I can show you on how it's drawn out. But again, you can't calculate it until the time of payout. The variable, as long as it's not a restricted variable, always three months interest. And so that kind of goes back to the question of fixed or variable rates. and the guarantee of that three months interest so knowing what your payout penalty is and that brings a lot of certainty to people knowing that especially if you have plans to move or sell your house
0: okay perfect so that gives some people just that reminder of you know it's best to just reach out it's not an easy calculation don't try to do it on your own um (laughs) so that's good pointers um Can you talk a little bit about credit checks? That's a big one that is considered obviously when someone goes to get a mortgage, um, you know, the, the company will be doing obviously a credit check on you. What helps and hurts people's credit rating? I think there's a lot of like information out there and whether it's, you know, right or, you know, very correct or are some of it myths that we hear and read about. Can you share a little bit of information on that? What helps or hurts our credit rating?
1: Yeah. So I guess, The number one thing we need to consider with our credit is the utilization of credit. So where I see the highest credit scores is when your limit is high, your balance is low. So I get the question all the time, should I open this $10,000 line of credit that I got a notification for? Should I increase my credit card? Because my bank just offered that to me. The answer is almost always yes. So take it as long as you're not using it, because as long as you're sitting 50% ish or less on utilization of your credit, your score is going to be increasing because the bank can then see that you can utilize that credit in a good way and not go to your limit. Where it really hurts people is when they say, okay, I'm smart. I'm not going to use my credit card for any, you know, Use it and not pay it off. And I'm going to keep my credit limit low at $1,000. But life's expensive. I need that full $1,000 a month to spend. Uh, Maybe I pay it off every month, but I still need the full $1,000 to buy groceries and do all that stuff. When you start hitting close to that limit, your credit will get brought down. So it does not matter that you only owe $1,000, but someone else owes $20,000 on their credit card. If you're closer to your limit than the other person, it is more than likely that your credit score will actually be more affected than theirs. The, yeah, the other thing is missed payments, of course. So I feel like this one's just kind of the unspoken rule where if you miss a payment, of course that's going to hurt your credit. If you don't miss a payment, then you should have better credit than the person that misses their payments. So always make sure that you're not missing your payments, including cell phone bills. The cell phone bill cell phone bills are the worst, probably on a credit bureau. Um, I see mispayments all the time on cell phones. They don't affect your credit as much, but they definitely do. The misconception I have a lot of times as well is credit pulls. So if you have really strong credit, if you pull your credit one or two times, big deal. It's not gonna be affecting your credit. Um, There's basically your credit score can go to 900 really good credit is between 700 to 900. So if you're closer to that 800, 900 range and you pull your credit and maybe it ding's you 10 points, you're still in the top of the top credit range and you don't have to worry about it dropping 10 points. Where it can matter is if you're on the cusp of good, good uh, credit. So somewhere around the 600 range, then you know pulling credit could affect your credit score. That 10 okay. points could matter. Okay. Um, lastly, I just want to finish on that is just the credit score and the number involved in it. So on a mortgage broker's side, we use a FIFCO score eight, which is basically the gold standard in credit. And the hard part or the tricky part about all this is that uh, consumers actually don't get that credit score. So if you go on any of the credit sites, Credit Karma, you actually get a different score. So it's calculated differently. The algorithm behind it just produces a different score than what we see. So don't depend on that credit score too much. It's a good gauge. So if you know Credit Karma is showing you a credit score of say 700, yes, you should know that your credit score is great. But if your credit score on Credit Karma is showing 650, more than likely on my side, it's going to show 600 or less. So our credit polls show a little bit, typically less than credit score. And that's unfortunately I only have access to that score. So just always ensure that you're pulling your credit, doing the full credit check when you're getting pre-approved so there's no surprises.
0: Okay. Yeah, good tips. Absolutely. So that that one the the credit. The room on your credit card, it's kind of a weird one, so a good one to point out to people because it feels kind of very counterintuitive to say, oh, I have, you know, a bigger and bigger um, sort of credit limit, Um, but it's the fact that you're not, you know, getting close to that limit, that's what's important, and the not missing payments, so again, for anyone who has, you know, lots of different payments out, make sure you're automating as much as you can, if it's hard to remember, because I know life gets busy. So it's not intentional often that we're missing a payment or we're late on a payment. But if any, you know, most bills can be automated, do that as much as possible, because that's going to help you um, for those scenarios. And then, yeah, yeah, to finish up, can we chat just Briefly, quickly, some of the question or questions sometimes people have for me has to do with rental properties and you alluded to it at the very beginning too, I think. So what are some things people want to consider for rental property? What do they need to know about getting a mortgage if it's on a rental property?
1: Yeah. So I guess number one thing, 20% down, no exceptions. Okay. Now, there's people that say there's exceptions on possibly 20% down. Um, A rental property and a second home are different. So if you're buying a vacation house, if you're buying a place for your parents or kids, you do not need 20% down, minimum 5% down in those cases. But if it's a true rental property, it's 20% down, okay? Um, And that's really the only big stipulation on the rental side is coming up with that 20%. From there, we can look at rates, we can look at, does it make sense? to buy a rental property. So whenever I have someone calling me saying, hey, I wanna buy a rental property, I always make them go look on Rent Faster, see what those places rent for around there to make sure that it's not just the thought of buying a rental property, but actually doing the due diligence to know that, okay, does my rent cover your mortgage payment, your property tax, your home insurance, your condo fees, if it's a condo, all of those expenses in addition to the mortgage. Um, so those are just important things to consider and making sure that is it really going to be beneficial to buy a rental property? Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that
0: tip. Yeah. Making sure. Um, Cause that's, that's the risk, right? What are you going to be able to get for rent? And that can, that can change, but at least knowing kind of where it sits now, but yeah, it can go up and down. So making sure that those numbers make sense, I think is so important. So sometimes yeah. it's, Sometimes it seems more appealing than it is when you see the numbers or at least
1: know the responsibilities too that come with being a landlord. Of course. Yeah. And I guess one last thing on that is just um, make sure you get a pre-approval on rental properties as well and make sure you fall back. So the pre-approval on that side of things is that typically banks only use 50% of the rental income to offset the total payment. So they want to know that you can really cash flow, or not cash flow the property, but that you can afford the property if rent's not coming in. So they're doing their due diligence on their side to make sure that this isn't something that's just kind of thrown at you or you're reading a book that says you should buy rental properties. This is a good way to invest. Um, they want to make sure that you're sophisticated enough to know that if uh, you know you don't have rent coming in for five months because of COVID then you can still afford that property. Um, okay. Banks also don't like the Airbnbs. So they're never going off of, okay, you can rent this place out for $200 a month. They're going, what can you rent this out? Or sorry, not $200 a month, $200 a day. They're going, what can you rent this out per month long-term? Okay. And then okay. just making sure you have the fallback as well. So some banks do have requirements on net worth to make sure that again, if you can't rent it out, then do you have the fallback to make sure that that mortgage is going to be paid?
0: Yes. Okay. Awesome. Those are good tips. This was great. So much information, so informative and just great information for people to know because mortgages, I mean, in a house purchase, it's it's one of probably the biggest purchases you'll make in your life. So having this information, you know, giving a lot of time, attention, thought is, is so important. So thank you so much, Tori, Tori, for your expertise, your wealth of knowledge. Um, Thank you so much for being here. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much, and I will catch you next time.